Hello, everybody, and welcome to the State of Play podcast, episode three of the quarantine, episode 33 overall. Uh, joining us today is a very special guest, good friend of mine and Matt's, Maxi Angelo. We'll introduce him in a second, but first, Matt, just want to say hello. How are you doing? Uh, same old, man. Same as the usual, the previous two podcasts. It's uh, great to be uh, doing this consistently. Again, when I plug the previous episodes, make sure you guys listen to the episode with Janish Michalik and Roberto Rojas. They're on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you can uh, listen to the podcast. But uh, Martino, let's jump right into it. Let's introduce Maxi. And Maxi, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Yeah, no, it's great to have you here. We, we really have uh, wanted to have you on for a while now um, because you're one of the better uh liverpool accounts out there liverpool fan accounts they're also a milan fan as well which is um i don't know how you do that um it's very interesting <laughs> i don't uh, either <laughs> i i don't um i mean i guess it's a decent time to do it better than 10 or 30 <laughs> like 15 years ago much better than 15 years ago because then I, I don't i don't know what you would do um, oh, man. but anyways i mean it's very Two contrasting times for both clubs, uh, as you know better than anyone. So we're mainly going to stick to Liverpool. We talk about Milan a little too often for a club who's really poor. So we wanted to stick with Liverpool here. We know Liverpool is the sexiest name in the sport right now. Um, They're the fastest growing and most popular team over here in the States. That's for sure. That can't be really disputed uh, due to the popularity in the Premier League. Um, the owners, uh, the Henry Group, uh, that own Liverpool, also own the Red Sox. Um, so tell me, what has it been like to just view this rise of Liverpool? Because we know, as avid fans of the sport, the situation they were in not too long ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that we were looking at Liverpool the way we look at Milan right now. That there what was happened that- to this club? There was that graphic that went up. I think they showed like before Klopp had and he had like Ricky Lambert, Balotelli, guys had like no <laughs> goals for them. So um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see how completely things have turned around for a club like Liverpool who kind of were in their own mini banter era, if you will. They had a lot of uh, mishaps on the transfer market. They really weren't meeting league objectives. City was City's rise was palpable. Uh, same thing with Chelsea, Manchester United and to see Liverpool kind of fall to the uh, to the background for, for a brief spell was pretty tough, I'm sure, for you at Maxi. But Overall, as, as Martino mentioned, what does it feel like so far watching this, this rise over the past handful of years? And essentially, really since Klopp arrived, because obviously he's uh, made, uh, paid huge dividends with his arrival and really getting uh, the names to come in to really overall build that dynasty that we see today. Yeah, it's, uh, this year has been surreal. Uh, it's hard to put into words uh, how it's almost been like when we lost recently to Atletico, uh, you didn't recognize that feeling of losing. Uh, it, it's come <laughs> to that point. Uh, but ever since uh, since uh, Klopp joined, it's been like uh, it's been like a dream, to be honest. Because it's not just about uh, where we are now. It's it's the journey from where the we journey. were to where we are now, uh, and. And Klopp has uh, he signed great players, but most of all, he's maximized the, uh, the material we already had uh, in like players. We've never really signed a star player other than mm-hmm. 
Allison maybe uh, and Van Dijk. Uh, other than that, we've signed great players, but we've made them stars, uh, mm-hmm. and that that's been great to follow. Uh, and as as you guys said, we were really bad off uh, when Fenway Sports Group uh, bought Liverpool. Uh, basically weeks from administration uh, and look where we are now uh, it shows you that it takes time to build a football club uh, but you have to have patience and that's what I think that's where I think uh, sorry we shouldn't talk about Milan but uh, <laughs> oh, no. but but that's what's needed uh, yeah continuity and patience and I, I, I agree, Maxi. I think what, what Liverpool have done, it's, it's, it's been a process, yes. And I think in the current times when you see, um, you know, as a Liverpool fan yourself and obviously someone who's followed Milan as well. So you kind of get, into, you know, a tale of two, two journeys here, if you will. One's drop, one's meteoric rise. I think what you see with Liverpool fans, I think there was always this kind of process. Once they hired Klopp, I think that was kind of like the first step, right? Because I think they had a couple players here and there. They've, made some acquisitions that were questionable, yes, but they made some that kind of were trending in the right direction. And I think what Klopp's arrival did, it kind of signaled Liverpool's overall intentions, their objectives, and really just the trust they had in Klopp, right? Obviously, we know what Klopp achieved at Borussia Dortmund, you know, Champions League final. They won the league, you know, previously with him. So when you hire a guy like Klopp, you know, they, 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 they showed and they trusted immediately that, this is our guy. We're going to give him the market. We're going to give him the proper funds. We're going to give him the time, which we know there's not a lot of clubs that are willing to do that, especially when you're of Liverpool stature, right? It's always immediate results. You know, you want to be competing for top honors each and every year, you know, whether it be domestically, whether it be in Europe. So for Liverpool to pretty much entrust this entire dynasty that I see going in with Liverpool, for Klopp, you're starting to you reap the benefits of that, right? You're having players who you don't have to kind of sway them or convince them with high wages to join Liverpool. It's one of those things where the name, the brand, the, the, the culture and the coach and the players they already have intact kind of speak for itself. And it, it essentially sells itself to a player. You know, we've seen them, them make some, some really shrewd business moves. Uh, I've seen Mohamed Salah from, the, uh, from Roma, which I know was a big fee at the time, but they've made more off that deal for sure. They've made up like bandits and the same thing with Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino. So they've, 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 they're the kind of the model dynasty or model franchise right now, a model club, if you will, um, for, for teams that are struggling to follow, right? You get the manager, the manager gets the philosophy, the culture, the, the overall mentality down that he wants to administer for his players. And then you get and you kind of you plug in, 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 in the certain voids to overall take your team to the next level. And I think, you know, once they were able to get Virgil van Dyke. You know, they you saw how quickly that sprung them into being a real legitimate team. Once they had the heartache in, in the Champions League final against uh, Real Madrid, they immediately went out there and they addressed the goalkeeper position with Alisson, who was again an expensive purchase, no doubt. But he's one of the top two, top three goalkeepers. However, you want to slice. It. I know everyone's going to have their opinions on Oblak or State. I mean, his value so showed, right? Right. I mean, so I, I think yeah. they've 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 done a fantastic job of just identifying where they need to um, add in order to take their team to the next level. And I think they don't leave anything to chance. They're not, you know, you know, slim pickings. They're not, you know, getting a little, uh, you know, gun shy when making the moves. They're saying, we need a goalkeeper. We're going to make this. And it's, 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 it's loomed large. So I think Liverpool 
Um, again, I don't want to keep going on and on, but I think, you know, Martino and, and, and actually you would agree with me that this is exactly where Liverpool fans, you know, new, old, everyone in between, know and come to expect for Liverpool to be in the position they're in. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, the first five years before Klopp uh, under Fanway Sports Group weren't that successful, but you also got to keep in mind that they had never run a football club before. They they need, uh, needed to learn uh, how to run it and learn the game of football. Uh, and, and as you say, it's a really shrewd business, and I've read I've read a lot about it, and uh, over the years I've I've gotten to know people on Twitter and talked a little about how people with insight into how they run their business, and mm-hmm. they they revolutionized recruitment. Like their recruitment department is astrophysicists, uh, mathematicians. Yeah. I was just about to I was just about to mention that too because I, I'm a Red Sox fan, right? So I've followed. You know John Henry, Tom Warner, Fenway Sports Group, and how they've you know moved the past uh, you know decade, you know decade, ha- decade and a half here. Once they took over uh, the Boston Red Sox in 2003-2004, and that that sort of area where they won yeah, the World Series, I, the dynamic in the, the entire yeah, it's it's analytics. one of the greatest sports accomplishments. I mean, turning right, around right. the Red Sox. Um, so, like for example, to to kind of even like explain it to some of our European fans, like turn around the Boston Red Sox at the time when John Henry and them took over. The only comparable thing that you could compare it to would maybe be like a combination of Chelsea and Manchester City. Like there still isn't anything that you can compare to it in terms of football, but it's literally bringing out a team, maybe even Spurs. Like if Spurs became a world beater, like Liverpool. That like a team that couldn't get out of its own way for the longest right. time completely changed everything. And they, and we're talking yeah. about eighty six year droughts, man. Like that's a then, very to, long to, time. Eighty six years to winning in 2013 and twenty eighteen. And you know, Maxi, you touched on it how, you know, Liverpool's the the front office, the people making the decisions on a day to day basis, whether it be with the manager, whether it be with the the marketing, the branding, you know, the, the scouting department, which we know is very huge and there's uh, a premium to put on a, on on a eyes that can really spot the best and brightest coming up. You know, there there are parallels to draw between the Red Sox rise to being, um, you know, a, a real big force. For many years, they were a team that they had it, they made some noise, they had some top players, but they could never get over the hump. And I think when you combine the fact that you have the, that brain trust, the, who did what they did in Boston, being able to quickly do that in my opinion grand scheme of things quickly right because i know you mentioned the first handful of years were, were, were difficult but to come into a completely different sport with a different dynamic and approach on how players are kind of acquired and and, and how teams are constructed in a different market remember this isn't this uh, american owners buying a major league soccer team it's a far different dynamic a far different element to deal with and a lot of pressure when you're taking on a team like liverpool who has such rich tradition history that they demand the fans demand uh, a winning environment right so I think what Liverpool has done in kind of revamping their entire approach towards, um, you know, football and how to build a winning project. Um, what can I say, man? That they're, they're the model right now, and I think there's going to be there are a lot of teams already that are are trying to follow that approach. Yeah, definitely. And it's like the first five years they they put their trust in a transfer committee, uh, mm-hmm. which essentially did did the work. Uh, but now they put more, more trust in themselves, uh, mm. 
and and of course in club but they they've taken a lot more decisions about recruitment and stuff like that mm-hmm. on their own instead of putting it into a transfer committee which worked kind of not well uh, mm-hmm. but as you guys say it's like a new market and it, uh, with Boston it's like trading and drafting and it, there's none of that different yeah yeah I also I also think it's interesting too right how we've seen with American owners um, you know, purchasing Liverpool and how much success they've had um, and, and how quickly they've risen back to what they once were as just a true, true lead. Um, on the field, of course, we all know their brand was always very big despite the, you know, the turmoil and difficulties they went through. But you see the kind of the, the differences between, you know, what the Kroenke family has done with um, as American ownership, who, you know, the Rams, they have all these teams that they own. And then how at Arsenal, the Glazers as well. The Glazers as well. How those te- those ownership groups from America with American roots have gone in a far different direction, and they've kind of essentially haven't quite grasped how to achieve what Liverpool are achieving. I mean, I know it's again going to take time, but you see how often Palota. Arsenal are going through managers, right? You're seeing exactly Palota, another one. So I think Liverpool, you know, when you combine all the factors, I think it was a slam dunk. Um, you know, purchase or acquisition for Fenway Sports Group to make when you consider all the factors, right? You didn't have to re, revamp or retool or re, um, rebrand Liverpool. It was already such a, again, a, a club with rich tradition, a winning history. It was about, you know, proper investment, oversight, how you're going to get the proper personnel in there to make the decisions to uh, change the dynamic, you know, kind of stay with, you know, stay current with how uh, you know, clubs do acquire players, as you know, we've been talking about quite a bit on this podcast. So I, I think it's, it's, that's also a really fascinating thing is how they've been able to adapt to the European model of, of sports in such a short time, again, con- when considering the fact that they haven't been owners for, of Liverpool for you know, two, three decades. It's been a handful, you know, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years, call it whatever the number is, but they've quickly been able to adapt and to be a kind of take some, some elements of the Red Sox success and carry that over to Liverpool and and prove that you can't have the analytics in both sports thrive and really build dynasties. And I think that's what Liverpool are headed towards. Well, yeah. And, and the analytical side of this is the most fascinating because we know as fans that watch like sports like this, especially football, it's not analytically driven uh, amongst the fans, right? It's not genuinely accepted by everybody. Not everyone says like, oh yeah, like of course you can use expected goals and expected assists and, and all these different kinds of statistics. Like that's not, people don't there's like the purest, that. The purest, well, there's, there's going to be the purists that are so anti-expected goals, so anti-analytical yeah. department, but it has its place. And I've always been a proponent and believer of that, you know, Stats and the advanced stats that we do, we, we are able to consume and have access to now, they're a, a, they're a fundamental part of it. I don't necessarily believe it's the end-all, be-all. Like if the numbers say this player is worth the, worth the money, then go and get him. I think the eye test, there is something to be said about the eye test. But Liverpool have been able to find that balance with their, with their analytical yep. department and their scouting department to say, hey, we know the numbers make sense. We know the numbers do support many of the things we're going to do. But we still have the eyes to and 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 talent assessment. Uh, you know, people with the talent assessment to find the right players for us. So finding that common balance is key because we know there's some clubs that are so ex- one way or leaning towards the other, where they're saying, "I oh, was so anti-expected goals." But if you miss the boat, 
you can quite see in 2020, it has its place. So I, I think, Martino, you, you, you can continue. I'm sorry to interrupt there. No, no, it's a, uh, basically what my main point was that there wasn't an example of a club winning by using what Liverpool is applying with analytics, right? Because analytics, in theory, was just kind of a theory that, hey, this thing might work in football. And same thing with baseball as well, that it took years until like a team that had examples of it, like, hey, like we're a low-budget team like the Oakland Athletics in baseball. We need to use analytics because we don't have the money to, you know, pay the difference uh, between getting like star players that you don't need analytics to tell you like Jason Giambi is a great player. You don't need analytics to tell you that Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the best players in the world. You do, however, need analytics to tell you that, you know, Sadio Mane can become this superstar, that Mo Salah can become the superstar. Like this is all a testament to Liverpool Mm -hmm. and believing in their philosophy and Maxi to bring you back into this. I mean, this is, it's almost like a Fortune 500 company. It's a, Liverpool is essentially running itself at this point. And the point that Matt was making earlier that they don't have to overpay for players now. It's really a, it's, it's a hotbed that players are going to want to go there. They can get players on great discounts and great deals. Like Mina Mina was, yeah, Mina Mina was, was the just, most recent one. Yeah. I was just about to say yeah. that. Yeah. And then I think it's going to happen again this summer. Um, Timo Werner looks like this is, this is a match made in heaven, right? Like, do you, do you, do you see more moves like potentially like Timo Werner and maybe they add more to the midfield or other areas? Like, where do you see this going? I mean, because this it's hard to see this stopping anytime soon. No, no, I really can't see it stopping. And I, I think like uh, as you say, Timo Werner, it would be like a typical uh, Fenway Sports Group uh, signing. Uh, <laughs> He's like on the verge of becoming a superstar, uh, yep. and they will make him a superstar, and they will pay like a bargain price for him. Uh, less, uh, you pay less than Luka Jovic went for. Like that's a, it's a mm-hmm. home run, right? Like it's you can't get a better deal. Yeah, and we have like we're paying it for a guy who scored a minimum of twenty goals for like the past three th- past three seasons. Uh, and and I was I was just thinking about it. Uh, basically, basically the only two signings that Fenway Sports Groups have made during the club era is uh, Loris Karius and Stephen Cocker, uh, and that's two signings that hasn't worked out. Uh, and Stephen Cocker was a dry loan for six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have like guys like uh, Marco Grujic who's on loan. Uh, to Hertha Berlin, but uh, you never know. So they're not expensive there. failures like uh, Faso Belli dropping like 300 oh, million a year. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Like, it's literally all of them, all 12 or 15 guys didn't work out. It's just like. But 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 uh, there's something to be said about that, right? Because I think mm-hmm. you know we we talk about it so much and we talk about it at length. Uh, I think in the, in the first step, the first episode in, in this relaunch with Janish is how. It hasn't. It's not just you know you know getting the right player and putting him in. It's not like a FIFA thing where you can buy an 86, 87. He's going to be an 86, 87 for you, no matter where you put him on the field, right? It's about building a system and an overall tactical shape and, and identity that allows these players to thrive, right? So there was you know a very there was moments where people were like James Milner, like Jordan Henderson, like these guys aren't Liverpool players. So you have Jordan Henderson being the captain after Steven Gerrard. 
Like, we got to get somebody else in here. But what does yeah. Klopp do? He's put the player in a role where he's not expecting him to be this world beater, but he brings what he can bring to the team. And at some point, he's not going to be the goal scorer. They have got the goals. They need someone to kind of be a leader. And that's exactly what Jordan Henderson's done, right? He's put some good performances, no doubt. But I think what they've done with certain players is given them, one, a new lease on life at the club, and two, put players in positions to thrive. Like even Nabi Keita, a player who um, there's many kind of maybe some mixed opinions on how he's done so far at Liverpool for the fee that they purchased him for. But when you're winning, I have always said this, when you're able to foster a winning culture and winning identity and an overall winning season like you know they've done in previous years, it, it makes guys like Nabi Keita come in and shake off those struggles a little bit quicker than when you're when the team is struggling as a whole you're the expensive purchase and to martino's point you know with with milan they, they don't have the right coach and suso even mentioned it right the coaches are constantly changing the identity is constantly changing the formation the players you can't build the continuity and i know you max you touched on that um off the top or earlier in this recording about the continuity they built and i think there's a lot of pillars that people don't really look for when assessing how teams have come to be you know these these juggernauts and i think liverpool have ticked off all the boxes again with the coach with the with the people up top making the decisions but it, overall at the end of the day it's football's a simple game it's 11 players on the field trying to achieve a common goal of winning and when you can put 11 players that are cohesive everyone knows what their role is going to be everyone's sharp everyone buys into the coach's philosophy it makes playing easier and it's also going to make the results come easier and i think that's what i've seen from liverpool and that's my biggest takeaway and we touched upon, and there's many um, models and, and, and managers that are doing it and clubs that are doing it across Europe, right? Gasparini um, at Atalanta, Simone Inzaghi, right? And no matter who you're plugging in, it's who's making the decisions. When you have everyone training, when you have everyone um, you know, in the tactical room going over the game plan for the, for the upcoming weekend, like they're able to just sprinkle in players here and there, like Will Naldum. Like he knows his role. He's come from Newcastle. They spent a little money on him. He's not coming here saying, I want to be a starter. I was a starter at Newcastle. He knows his role. Everyone's doing their part to win and, and to achieve the common goal. And I think when you have something like that, you know, that's also going to translate into the transfer market. When you have guys like Timo Werner, who he has options, but he knows that he's going to look at what Liverpool built and says, I want to be a part of that versus in the past where you've had to say, hey, you know, let's pay you a little bit more. Let's pay the club a little bit more of a transfer fee to obtain those players. So it's a trickle-down effect, and it kind of tends to carry over you know, each year in that when, you're, you know, when, when everyone's thriving, when everyone's doing their part, ultimately winning becomes a contagious uh, sort of feeling that everyone wants to be a part of, and that's what Liverpool are doing here. Yeah, and the thing is, like you say, uh, Liverpool don't throw salaries at players their their high salary right now is uh, is van dyke who's uh, on two hundred thousand pounds a week uh, but mm-hmm. basically every other top six teams have players who are paid more right. than that uh, point. So liverpool have a very good uh, payroll structure too uh, mm-hmm. we're not going to throw money at you to stay here if you don't want to be here go somewhere else uh, right. we can find options uh, and that that's also a factor why i think uh, werner would would prefer liverpool to barcelona or real madrid uh, but also because he's seen too that that club can take players like him and make them superstars the next even level, though he yeah, doesn't, yeah. 
maybe it doesn't guarantee you minutes every week or at, not even every game, but but he will take you there. And that is of big worth uh, for someone like Werner who's choosing his next, next destination. I also think the same thing too, right? We, we talked about the French players. You know, even players like, you know, Divock Origi, right? So, you know, many people will look at him and say, ah, he's, well, he's kind of like a backup striker. He's, but you know what? He has his role. It's one of those guys, like I, we, we, we talked about you know, the baseball and soccer compares, football comparison here, excuse me. You know, and I think you could in many ways look at you know, some of the utility players that Klopp has been able to tap into them, keep them motivated, keep them hungry for minutes. And when you're able to do that and you bring on a guy like Divock Origi who could score big goals for you, I think that's also extremely more extremely important. And you can argue it's at times more important than having the star player to go to, right? Because with all the all the matches that English clubs play throughout the entire season, when you can plug in a guy like Divock Origi and he's going to deliver for you and your system essentially more or less is not going to skip a beat, that's very important too because you know everyone wants to play, right? Everyone wants to get the minutes and they want to be the star man, score the goals, especially if you're a striker, right? We know the strikers specifically have these big egos. They want to be scored on a regular basis, keeping players hungry too and motivating players is a, a huge factor. And we see many managers obviously able to have this sort of impact on, on players as well. But I think, you know, on the discussion for Klopp and Liverpool and what they've been able to build here, I think that's very key too. Right? I think everyone top to bottom, when you look at their roster, everyone seems to, at the end of the season, when the dust settles, when you look at what you've accomplished in that given year, everyone has seemed to have some sort of role in, in the winning winning season, right? And I think that's at the, end of, at the end of the year when we see whatever happens with Liverpool and, and the title, we obviously remains to be seen. Everyone's going to look at the roster and going to say, oh, remember that guy when he did that, he scored that big goal for us, right? Or, you know, remember when, you know, Henderson put in a great shift and he was able to make the difference for us. Like, that's also very key is keeping players hungry and motivated to fight for their manager and for the cause. Yeah, and, and like, you don't see any players throw shade at Klopp or, or Liverpool in general, uh, during the seasons or when they leave the club, everyone only has good good things to say about it. Uh, even though they've maybe not played as much as someone else, no one complains about about the model. Uh, like like you say, it, it, the model keeps the players hungry and motivated. Yeah, and, and you know the important thing too, I think, with the Origi point was that that's also a player that arrived at the club prior to Jurgen Klopp being there. So not only that, he, he was willing to work with players prior to that. And that also, it's, it's not, I'm not trying to say it's an indictment on previous ownership, previous management, but it just shows, again, it's another example that once you just have somebody – that knows how to develop talent, someone that knows where they need certain players in a system. Like this is also a guy who scored in a Champions League final. This is a guy who scored a brace. And this this guy isn't a regular starter, right? He's not seeing as many minutes as uh, Firmino or Mane or Salah. Like this is a guy who's just kind of coming off like, I don't know, another Milan example, maybe Alberto Gilardino, like a little bit similar to that. I mean, he didn't score in a Champions League final. But it's, it's that same sort of impact where he comes off the bench and you know he's dependable. He's a reliable guy that, that you could use. So I wanted to move on, though, because cause we, we like to, to know all about the club in general. And we know we've been talking about the current stars at Liverpool. But 
who were some of the – there was two players we discussed prior to recording this that uh, you maybe would want to profile for us really quick um, for the future potential stars of Liverpool because we saw they um, Jurgen Klopp is very much against a condensed schedule. And in yeah. that condensed schedule back in December, <laughs> I believe it was against Aston Villa. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. They yeah. played like an average age of like 12-year-olds <laughs> against, yeah. against them. and. Uh, they actually did pretty pretty well considering uh, the average age. I, I believe it was still like under twenty, but I think it was I'm, like nineteen. Yeah, no, exactly, which is just insane. Um, so tell me, I believe it was Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott were the two names that you wanted to discuss. Discuss both of them. You could pick one of them, whatever you want. You have free reigns. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, like the main ones I've identified are Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott. Uh, then there are guys like uh, Kiana Hover, who will be great in defense. But uh, Harvey Elliott was acquired uh, last summer from uh, Fulham, where he made his uh, Premier League debut at 16, with, which tells a lot about his potential. But every game I've seen him this season, whether it was for the under-23s or against Everton in the... Carlin Cup uh, seniors. Uh, he's always impressed. Uh, he's so mature. Uh, he, he, you can tell that he thinks football and uses like what he he, he thinks something and he executes it in a, in a way that people who are sixteen shouldn't be able to do. Uh, and he's so unpredictable, he's smart, uh, he's right positionally, he has a huge future. And uh, him, him staying uh, until the last week of preseason also says something about how high Klopp rates him uh, and uh, how much uh, game time he's gotten for the seniors this this year. He's, he's even made his Premier League debut for Liverpool. Um and then Curtis Jones, uh, who I think will be replacing Lalana next year because Lalana is basically going. Uh, it's more or less confirmed. And he's been the captain of the under 23s this season, and uh, he's dominated uh, the under 23 series. Uh, it's it's so clear to see that he's too good for that level. Uh, he's made like 14 goals and six assists in Jeez. 19 games. Uh, and then, and he plays like a left winger. He's not even a striker. Wow! Yeah. Uh, and he's like Trent, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold in a way. He's a local guy. Uh, been at the club since he was six years old. Uh, so it's like that beautiful story, yeah. uh, like Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, so, so I think he will replace Lalana next year, or maybe he goes out on loan to some other club where he can be guaranteed senior minutes but I think he will replace Lalana because when you when you hear the way Klopp talks about uh, Curtis Jones you're so convinced that he will be a part of uh, of uh, Liverpool senior squad he's basically said like it's not a question of if it's a question of when uh, and I think that will be next year Wow. That, see, that that's so exciting to have because these are guys that aren't really going to cost Liverpool any money on the transfer market. 
Like that's what that's what the amazing clubs and the great clubs do. Like that's a sustained winner right there. And that happens a lot in American sports as well. Some of the best teams, I mean, even the Red Sox, Matt, again, to go back to them as an example mm-hmm. of this, they do spend money, yes. And every successful yeah. team that wants to compete for a championship spends the money. But they consistently were producing their own players out of their own system. Mookie Betts, Rafael Devers, Andrew Benintendi, um, the list Santa goes Bogarts. on and on. Yeah, yeah, Bogarts too. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on, and that's how and that's how you win. And we saw that with Barcelona mm-hmm. when they first started their dominant run. Right? You don't pay money for a Xavi. You don't pay money for Iniesta. You don't pay money for all these guys. Then you just add to the team in certain areas that you need, like Liverpool add Van Dijk for the large fee. They add Allison for the last fee, and the next thing you know, this is the best team in Europe. This is the best team in the world. And Maxi, honestly, I agree with you. I mean, this is really hard to see this stopping anytime soon because these are there's no shrewd moves. There's not like Man City where they drop almost 300 million euros on fullbacks alone. <laughs> this is this is like a, a very smart, well thought out plan. And honestly, like I, I I have a hard time seeing Liverpool slowing down anytime soon. So. Uh, we know the whole situation going on with uh, the coronavirus and all that stuff and how it's put on suspensions for the league and everything. And we know Liverpool and the whole story with the Premier League and how they haven't won the modern-day title. They're so far ahead of everyone else in this league uh, yeah. this season. It hasn't even been close. They're basically they're, – they're going to – I mean, it's clinched. It's not mathematically clinched. But what do you think the Premier League should do? Because I think they're in a much more interesting position than other leagues. Um, so we'll just stick to that. What do you want to see happen? What do you think will happen? Uh, obviously, I, I want to see Liverpool win the title. Um, but what I think will happen, I think that regardless, it will be it will be finished because there's so much money involved and there's so many potential lawsuits against, against the league if it doesn't. Uh, we have like Leicester, who's guaranteed a Champions League spot, uh, Sheffield United, who have a real shot at going out in Europe, uh, and then, of course, the relegating teams uh, who don't want to be relegated. Hey, even Manchester uh, United at a, at a point, has they're like not completely out of a, a Champions League spot, too. Oh, no, definitely, definitely. Um, so, I, so I think uh, there, there was like a, a report from, I think it was Calcio Finanza, uh, an Italian financial paper, uh, who said that if the Premier League were to be finished now, or null and void, they would lose seven hundred fifty million dollar uh, pounds, uh, which is a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so I th- I think it will be finished. Then it's a question of how it will be finished. But I mm-hmm. think uh, I think it will be played during the summer. Uh, I think most most European leagues will use that model. Uh, but then again. No one knows how this yeah. situation will develop, um, but I think that's at least a goal to do that. Well, uh, well, I hope you see a league title because I mean, that's <laughs> Me a too, that would I mean, man, I, can you imagine? Like seriously, can you? I know to go back to Milan again. Can you imagine like Milan sucking this much for the longest time, and they're just like in that hunt, and they're finally about to win something again? 
and the whole season just doesn't count and they don't get anything <laughs> like that yeah. would suck and they dominate that too. would be that would be that would be that would be classic yeah that that would be yeah that that's would a be, cherry uh, on top that's but a cherry if they ever did you know but yeah <laughs> i just want to like party a- with meal on twitter that's kind of what my goal is here it was like a, a, a Twitter thread uh, from a big Liverpool account uh, who counted down like five wins to go, four wins to go, <laughs> three wins to go, one, two, one. Uh, and then when it said one, it hasn't tweeted since. The Premier League suspended due to coronavirus, <laughs> like a global oh, pandemic. Just oh, one win left. <laughs> and and it's at the worst time too, because I gotta tell you, man, you just keep on getting eliminated from all these competitions. But you're like, at least <laughs> yeah. we have the Premier League title. At least we got that. And it's like, one no nope, wins. Suspended. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so we 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 said we didn't want to talk about them that much because we pretty much covered everything with Liverpool wise. Milan's one of the teams that you love, right? You write for simplymilan.com. Oh, yeah. It's one of our favorite sites. We're all friends with the guys over there. Obviously, friends yeah. with you. Liverpool's situation was similar. I don't think, and, and this might be biased, I don't think there's anything quite like this in the world of sports where a team like Milan is in the situation that it's in and it just can't seem to get it out of its own way. Do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Because you root for a club that has seen the light at the end of the tunnel, has reached it, and is like reaping all the benefits of it. Yeah. If if there is light at the end of the tunnel, like when when are when are Milan fans going to see it? When do you think it will happen? Do you think Ralph Ragnick is that guy to get them there? Um, what do you think? Uh, I'm I'm glad you asked this because I was uh, pondering about it in my mind uh, when we talked about Liverpool. Um, the years 2010 to 2015 were horrible. Uh, Liverpool was shit. <laughs> Milan was shit. <laughs> Not much happening. <laughs> I, I will tell you. Uh, but but uh, to answer your question, um, I actually think that uh, Ralph Reinick is a solution to Milan's current problems. Uh, and here's why. Um, I hate the way Milan are going about this. Uh, <laughs> treating Boban like they do. Uh, treating Maldini like we do. Uh, but... Um, Maybe the means are justified because I think that uh, Ralph Rangnick uh, knows how to identify uh, up-and-coming players, uh, players who are on the verge of becoming something great, uh, just like Klopp in a sense. Uh, and after that, he has the ability, like we've seen in Leipzig and uh, Schalke, um, Hoffenheim he's been into. Uh, he knows how to refine these talents Uh afterwards after he signed them and he knows how to build a collective and, and and get results out of projects that have limited budgets uh so i think that he w- maybe he's not the solution or the star coach who will take milan back to champions league finals or or winning the league well, perhaps winning the league but even though uh, i think that he's a logical next step because i think that um Stefano Pioli uh, is he's a he's a bit like Atuso in a way because he's a great motivator uh, but he hasn't the best tactical sense if you get mm-hmm. what I mean yeah. uh, and I think you get both uh, a tactician uh, how do you say tactician mm-hmm. tactician 
yeah, a, a great tactician and motivator in Ralf Reinick who can build a collective, who can identify good players from Milan uh, from his own uh, plans or uh, uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that would benefit Milan very good. Uh, and also, you have like uh, very, uh, you have many promising prospects from foundation uh, yeah yeah from the primavera right now uh, you have uh, Brescianini, daniel maldini luan capani uh, and if those guys can come under ralph ragnick i think that they will benefit very much from that too as uh, so not only will he create a good atmosphere and great projects with the first team but he will link the Primavera and the senior side together in a better way too than than in recent years because uh, not only has Milan fallen, the Primavera has fallen too. We haven't gotten very uh, many talents out of that of uh, of our Primavera in uh, in quite some time after uh, Gigio. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just been a. A handful of talents, but they didn't even. If they do flourish, they flourish outside of Milan, right? They don't. Yeah, or like, we sell them to like a side like Crotone or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like Locatelli was having a revelation of his season so far. I know, I know he's made yeah. ma- massive strides, and he just wasn't getting the correct amount of time. Cristante was another example of that. Um, Cutrone yeah, was really the only one. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, but so, see, but see, it's it's it's. I just want to make make a point here is that you know when I talked about Liverpool right and how it sort of had been a trickle down effect right from top to bottom. Everything seems to be um, you know falling into place right when there's a domino effect right. You have the management, you have all the people in place, you get the right manager, and all the players buy into the manager, and now you start winning. It's one of those things with Milan where they always seem to be kind of going year to year with the ownership coaches are constantly changing and then you're completely gutting the squad so there's yeah. no continuity and you can't have that that, that that consistency for the youth and I think that's why many reasons there's are many reasons why maybe the youth players haven't succeeded whether it be on their own yeah. um, failures shortcomings yeah. and not being motivated but guys like Locatelli guys like Kutrone who had good starts to Milan all of a sudden not fitting a mold of a manager and then that manager being fired it's like Calabria two of our Right, you got two. You're just getting rid of two of our our, our premier players. Like Cuturoni was a star in, his, in the year with Cattuso, and all of a sudden he's yeah. struggling because he's not getting the consistent minutes and the confidence. Same thing with Locatelli, right? So that's also another thing that I'm really hoping for is that yes, it's all fine and dandy to flex on the market, spend big and splash on players, but that's not always the winning model, right? As we saw with Fasolbelli and them just throwing money at players and hoping to see yeah. some of them stick. It's one of those things where you got to have the, the mindset where, hey, look, we're Milan, but we have to also be sustainable with our, our payroll structure. To your point, Maxine, that you can get players who can make the difference, the champion-like players, but you also got to be able to develop those players in certain areas when you have those star players who can elevate the others around them, right? And I think that's kind of been what they've tried to lean with, with the current core group, if you will, that Milan currently have. And Donnarumma, yeah. who has experience now under his belt at 21. Romagnoli, who's been thrown, he's been baptized, baptized in the fire with not having a proper you know, partnership uh, you know, defensively. In the midfield, Ben there, Teo Hernandez. Like, you have some players here. But now it's to the point where you've got to get the champion-like players. Because in, in a little bit of a glimpse here, in, in a short spell that we have seen with Ibrahimovic, He's helped this team. If you get a couple of those players here, 
it may not be far off for Milan to be back in the conversation as a legitimate top four team. We saw how quickly or somewhat quickly Inter were able to accomplish it, right? They're not far removed from the Frank de Boer days. All of a sudden, they get Paletti in there who does two solid seasons for them. And then they get Conte, then they get Lukaku, they get Barella, they get all but these you're, you're missing, teams you are missing the stable ownership. The project, right? So it's, it's 100, 100%, but they went, they went through their things too. And Marathi getting the players, not completely being in it, right? The Lucas Podolskis, the Yuto Nagatomos of the world. A lot of the, play, a lot of the guys that Inter signed weren't Inter players. Same thing mm-hmm. with Juventus, right? Juventus had a lot of these flop players who, uh, Elia, you had uh, Krasic, you didn't, you pan out. A lot of the players that they bought, didn't pan out either. So it's a process. But I think once, if they can get that stability at the top to go with the management structure, then I think you can kind of start to see things materialize. But right now, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if, you're, if I'm giving my honest opinion out where I see Milan headed and where is the light at the tunnel and how soon can we expect to see it, it's really difficult to say because I think it's, it's, there's constant restarts. Whereas with teams like Liverpool, when they hired Klopp, they got the guy they wanted and that was year one, and then they've continued to versus Milan. We're consider you know, each and every year they're restarting. It's like year one of year one. It feels like you know it's ground zero every year. Mm-hmm. It feels like and so there's, there's no problem. rot. There's no timeline that you we can you know. And there's another ownership group probably on the horizon, but I mean that's it's it is what it is at this yeah. point. So we have a question. Um, it comes in from JRS. It we'll keep it to one player because he said five players that. Uh, had the biggest <laughs> impact on your life. Um, so that it's just going to be too hard on the spot. So we'll pick one player each. We'll go, we'll let Maxi go first, Matt, then you can go, and then I'll just go, and then uh, we can wrap things up. So Maxi, the one player that had the biggest impact on your life. <laughs> All right. This is going to be, I think it's going to be a shock for both of you. Uh, Kim Shellstrom. Uh, I don't know if you know him. Kim Shellstrom. Uh, he played for Arsenal a while back. Probably uh, not. I would <laughs> they did some time in Lyon too. I don't know, uh, because uh, he was the guy that really made me fall in love with football uh, when I watched him play. Um, but then after that, there's, of course, uh, my biggest inspiration, I would say, is Paolo Maldini. Mm, uh, that's my sure. biggest inspiration in life. Uh, because I, I just love how he dedicated everything towards uh, the team he loved, uh, towards getting better at the sports, never, never giving up, never seeing something like that's good enough. Uh, he's always pushed uh, himself to become better and grow in, individually, and I really admire that about, uh, about him. I, I love that choice. That's great, Matt. I can go. You know, I, Maldini's a great shout. Definitely, I. I did that tweet that everyone's doing or the name of four players, most influential players in your football mm-hmm. career, football life. Um, Maldini is definitely there. Uh, Beckham is another one. But I think for me, it's got to be Kaká. I think, you know, at the time I became like really immersed and in, in, involved in, in football and loving Milan. I think that Kaká was the one player that kind of like I looked at and I was like, there's something about him. You know, he had that upright, you know, upright running stop. He was so explosive, so quick. And the Champions League that he had in 2006, 2007 was phenomenal. Obviously, went on to win the Ballon d'Or. You know, as a player, obviously, his time at Real Madrid, uh, you know, that kind of it killed me when he left Milan. It's, it's, we all know that as Milan fans. But when I look at the complete completeness of his career and what he was able to accomplish in a Milan uniform, um, definitely someone I hold uh, at the top of my list. And uh, just as a, you know, as, as, as a Catholic itself and a man of faith, I think that that sort of element, that picture 
where I belong to Jesus was so iconic when they won the Champions League against Liverpool, the redemption year in 2007. That was also just kind of one, another one of those moments and, and images in my mind that just secured my fandom and love for Kaká. So I think I would be happy to be Kaká. He's one of those players who are faster with the ball than mm -hmm. without the ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the infamous oh, clip where he's, where he's dribbling and he's outrunning Messi when Messi doesn't <laughs> have the ball. Ask ask Rise too, right? Where he did that little like spin move on him, and then Rise was like caught in between, like wanting to go at the cup, but then he just like slide tackle. He's like, "Yeah, I'm not getting this ball." He just said, like, "You know what about you?" <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, everyone knows he's my favorite player, but I don't want to pick the same thing as you because that's just boring. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it, I think it's definitely Gattuso because Kaká, although like one. my favorite player by far just him as a person and just everything he did on the field and still the last deserving player to win the Ballon d'Or before Messi and Cristiano, in my opinion. Um, it has to be Gattuso because, again, like there's a, there can't be many Kakas out there, but there can be a lot of Gennaro Gattusos. There, you can emulate the way he works on the field mm -hmm. and how, how much intensity that man played with, how much he wanted to fight for the team. And again, it's, it's similar to what you were saying about Maldini, Maxi, is that he'd do anything for this club. Yeah. I mean, he refused Literally to anything. He refused to take the severance package when it knew it could have damaged Milan after they wrongfully let him go after the season. Um, yeah. Every time he, he, I mean, he was just, he's a psychopath, like getting into the fights <laughs> he did with Joe Jordan, like grabbing him by the throat was hilarious, but it's insane. Nails. Yeah. I mean, he, he won stabbing his teammates with the fork. Yeah, I mean, that interview is great, by the way, if you want to go catch it on YouTube. It's one of the funniest things. Um, and I don't think there is a fan out there, maybe Spurs fans just because of the Joe Jordan thing. <laughs> no one dislikes this man. And, and you know what? And he won everything he needed to win. And he might have not been the most technically gifted player of all time, but he was playing in some of the greatest teams of all time that you ever seen. You know, I mean, those Milan teams were iconic. He was a part of that. He was the main reason for it. Um, 2006 World Cup. I mean, anything you can get. And, mm -hmm. again, him as a manager doing this well when no one thought he could do this is just another mm -hmm. testament to him as a person. So that's why I love him. It's one of my I biggest inspirations. I think we're good, too. So, too, there's a lot of the things that the common person can take from the way he played, right? I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy for, you know, we, us to say, like, oh, man, I wish I was, like, this technically gifted, this and this. But the way Gattuso played, the way he carried himself as a player um, and as a coach, those are things that there are little elements and little personality, uh, think, things in his personality that you can kind of take and apply to your everyday right, life, right? Like, as a guy who's overlooked um, many times as, yo, he's not, he's not the, the technically gifted player, as you mentioned. He's not going to score the goals. He's not the sexiest name on the field. He's, he's going to, he's the bulldog, right? He's going to do a lot of the things to help you win a game at the end of the day that maybe don't show up on a stat sheet. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the reasons why it fueled me to write about him and his relationship, you know, Beauty and the Beast, if you are, with him and Andrea Pirlo in the Beast Football Times magazine when I was given the opportunity to write for them was there was a many, there's a lot of attraction and a lot of attention that went towards Pirlo and rightfully so. Again, a, a great player in his own right. But you can look at the your World Cup the triumph. You can look at the Champions League uh, your years with Milan and how those two played and coexisted under Carlo Ancelotti, you can definitely make the case that without Gattuso being able to be that enforcer, that shadow player to mop up and just kind of free up Pirlo to be himself, that expressive self, that, that playmaker, 
you know, that is, he has his role in this game. And in many ways, I, I like to compare and look at what Catuso was as a player and how I admire him uh, to the same effect with Daniela De Rossi, right? A player mm-hmm. who, the energy, the grit, like, it's one of those things where, like, if someone, like, that's who I would want to emulate. Like, if I'm looking for someone to, to point to and say, hey, like, who would you want, you know, to, to have the career of? I think if you, we all look to the trophies, I understand that. For a guy like De Rossi, again, to play with one club his entire career, I know Boca Jr. is very short, but, you know, to be that sort of player where, you know, you kind of, you leave everything out on the field and you split blood, you win, you achieve, you, you reach the glories that those two players have. You know, getting back to Catuso, though, a player that, you, you know, you're Martino, it's funny because I have a friend of mine who hates Catuso because um, you know, he's just like, I hated him. I just, but I think it's one of those things where you hate him, but you respect him for the way he plays. And one of those cases. Well, where well, who is he, he a fan of? That might tell his story. He kind of likes Liverpool, which, so it's kind of funny, but. I yeah, just, that's like, strange. I just, yeah. I just, I just think it's funny because it's one of those players where you hate playing against him, but you love having him on your team and in your corner when you're up against a tough team. Kevin Garnett yeah. type. For the and, and like. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Good comparison. Gattuso is like one of those players too that like, as you say, he's not the most technical player. He's not that great of a playmaker, but he's also a player that even though he isn't one of those things, he will still push his teammates because Mm -hmm. he will never be satisfied. He will, if someone is not playing good enough, he will straight up tell you. And if you don't do it, then he will straight up kill you. (laughs) My favorite like, was when he went, uh, when they played Roma and he smacked Kolarov in the back of the head. I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So great. He gets in the and or anytime Hakan too. He gives him like that yeah. hard smack in the back of the neck. Oh God! Yeah. Or with so, the, uh, with the, with, that's how we show with, you with, he loves with you. the issue with the with the corner flag where he had like fixed the corner flag. That was also <laughs> another one too. But like uh, he's one of those things where he's kind of like a like a gentle giant. He's like a like a like a sour patch kids first or sour. Yeah. Or sweet. He has his <laughs> yeah, moments where yeah. he looks kind of like funny that's a good he has, one. Like, the moments but i'm sure we're gonna wrap up we'll never forget the um the, obviously the, the the famous video that sometimes maybe good sometimes maybe shit like that's all-time iconic yeah but that's that, that is that's katusa man it's one of the but one of the best memes ever on the <laughs> internet so maxi that's, that's that's what i loved about him too as a milan manager there was like press conference and stuff there was no bullshit about it he would, <laughs> yeah he was straight he would tell no you nonsense. exactly what he wanted and because who's gonna say anything to him about it no one's gonna yeah say anything. yeah because we'll he will come after you yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly and you'll you'll get the fans as enemies and him so you don't want that um so we'll wrap up here maxi thank you so much for coming on this was so much fun all the information was was, truly my pleasure it it was was so great to be on here all the information was so fantastic please let everyone know where they could follow you on twitter and all of your great work that you do uh you can follow me on twitter at uh, maxi angelo uh, m-a-a-x-i angelo uh, and then I I write for Sempre Milan, uh, and sometimes for uh, other fan sites, but mainly Sempre Milan. Um, Matt, everywhere, anywhere, anyone can find you. Sorry, botched that. At Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter. Uh, also, guys, make sure you guys are leaving those reviews, subscribing, uh, telling your friends, your football friends about the State of Play pod. You guys can follow us on Twitter. They're at State of Play pod. We thank you for the support and Martino sent us off.
Yeah, um, you just follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Same as usual. Want to thank Maxi once again. Thank you, everyone who retweets, shares everything. We're getting pretty solid plays considering the time. Um, listen back to all the old episodes as well. We're going to have more exciting guests coming uh, in the few in the coming days, actually. Um, so look forward to all that. Uh, look out on the timeline for the State of Plays account uh, for this. Shout out to the Big Heads Media Network as well for letting us. Uh, put our podcast out there. So be sure to go out there and check all of our stuff there. Once again, Maxi, thank you so much. Take care. Please stay safe. And everybody, wash your hands and practice social distancing. Take care. Ciao.